Welcome to the Next Level Communications podcast, the show that explores how to have more meaningful conversations and make real connections in business and in life. I'm your host, Eloise Leeson, founder of Olin, a Next Level Communication Consultancy. As a linguist, I'm passionate about helping people improve their ability to communicate. And on the show, we'll be discussing ideas and strategies to help you close the gap between what you think you're saying and what is actually being received by your customers. Effective communication takes empathy, self-awareness, and a commitment to seeing things from another person's perspective. My goal with this show is to get you talking about talking, thinking about brand, considering your language, and most importantly, focusing on that other person. Communication is at the heart of all relationships. My hope is that this show will help you nurture your connections through more conscious, impactful conversations. I am so glad that you are here. So both of us are grinning because I started, I got so enthusiastic with this that I actually started my intro before the countdown happened. So this is a, <laughs> this is a second take. I am so thrilled that you are here to join us for this bonus episode of the Next Level Communications podcast. I am joined by one of my favorite people that I have met courtesy of the internet and courtesy of LinkedIn, the one and only Jakob Greta, who I'm going to mispronounce your surname for the majority of this episode and then <laughs> berate myself for later. Um, but I would just love it if you could introduce yourself a bit about what you do, where you're based, what your passions are, um, and just kind of help us get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, Eloise, it's super nice to be, uh, you know, one of your first guests here. This is quite spontaneous what we're doing here, but I love it. Myself, I am a writer, I'm a marketer, I'm a speaker, and I love to be on podcasts and also to, to host them, uh, which is kind of the, the short way to talk about myself. I started by going to university to study English here in Poland. Then I became a marketer at a software company, software development consulting company. Now I'm at Zenpilot, which is a project management consultancy for agencies. And I just, I write a lot. I record a lot of videos like this and just generally try to help people do better marketing, sure. But also like, I really love the idea of the podcast, helping people be better communicators figure out what they're about so they can tell other people and kind of inspire and teach them. I really align with that. Oh, I love that. And and first of all, what a fabulous, like melting pot of everything that you do. But I also know that that's not all that you do. So could you give us maybe some like, just maybe one or two interesting facts about yourself that people wouldn't know from the professional, although you're very good at blending your whole self, but what's, you know, I think, you know, the cool fact that I'm, I'm, I'm heading at here, but what's one thing that people might not think about you on first sight? All right, sure. Well, you know, personal branding tip, you got to have something that gives you flavor, okay? And the thing that I arrived at and what I'm passionate about, and I always try to use it as an analogy for business, marketing, communication, etc., is playing bass. And specifically, I play bass in a metal band, so I'm super passionate about music. You know, the story behind it, behind it is kind of funny. I became uh, a bass player kind of by circumstance, had this friend who plays guitar, he met a drummer, and it took them years of frustration to find a bass player and that was my opportunity because i was hearing about him complaining we can't find a bass player this guy flaked this one doesn't like the vibe so i just took the time to borrow a bass practice a little bit give that bass back get married in the meantime then buy a bass practice some more record some really amateur stuff and they were like well we don't have a better option so come on on board and i've been a part of that band ever since so now you know, I've got a gig coming up in just like nine days from now, which is like kind of our third big gig. And yeah, 
look, here's the thing about kind of picking something up. I picked like an instrument up relatively late in life, not super late, right? But I, n- I never had like music school uh, during my school years, not much of that. It is so useful to be a beginner at something again and to kind of find it in yourself, to have that kind of grace for yourself and patience for yourself and to see that progress over time. Like this has transferred to other areas in my life where, okay, I've been doing marketing for years, but all the time I'm trying new stuff. And then I just kind of go back to that beginner mindset. Like, okay, this is like when you picked up the bass for the first time and you realize there's so much more to it. There's so much more depth. But you've gone through it with bass. You can go through it with whatever else. That really helps. I think that's an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing with us. What I love about it is that you weren't a bass player when your buddies were building this band, you know, they were forming yeah. this. And, and I think there's a great quote, I think it's Jordan Peterson actually, who I know is quite a divisive figure, but um, and he has one of these rules that says that the abdication of responsibility is someone else's opportunity. And I think what I love mm. is, is that you have kind of encapsulated that perfectly. You didn't play the bass at this time, but you heard people talking about like, guys, we need a bass player because you've got a bass in a metal band. Um, and then apart from the whole like, borrowed a bass, got married, bought a bass, carry on. Now you are, I mean, the band's called Omegalodon, right? So you, you're now like, yeah. playing, these awesome gigs across the country and you're enjoying it and I think that you can tell how much you love what you do from the passion in your voice and the way that comes across but the lesson in all of that is if you're excited about something and something has like made your ears prick up that's an opportunity and and you don't have to be awesome at that thing yet to go after the opportunity I think a lot of people wait for opportunity to be completely ready for opportunity and yes absolutely like opportunity and luck happens when you are well prepared but you have to go through the process of preparation to get to yeah. that point right so yeah the kind of the the beauty of being the beginner is is so awesome and that kind of success story that you've given yourself where you get to look back and say do you know what a guy who can pick up the bass and learn the bass and join a, this awesome black metal band he can probably go out and start another podcast he can join another organization he can be an award-winning toastmaster speaker all of these amazing things that you do but yeah. i think where i see a lot of the threads cross over with you Jakob, is really where I, we've, and we've had this chat before is it this your purpose and the passion that you have and I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what your desire is to do with your work and the things that you do in your life like what is your your goal for an, another person in those interactions what is it you're here to do sure so is it okay if I share kind of the story behind the question oh, from please. our previous mm-hmm. conversation Absolutely. So we were talking about, you know, purpose and passion and what came to my mind, and I've, I've shared this, I mean, I share this whenever I can, is this little exercise that I found in a book actually about therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. I think the book was called The Liberated Mind. And this really helped me kind of nail down what I'm passionate about, what gets me the most excited. And it's a very simple exercise, actually. You look back on your past and you identify the moments that kind of made you the most excited that made you feel the most you and maybe you know in the moment you weren't exactly aware of it and then you dissect it uh i still have that file somewhere in my google docs where i just listed the kind of most exciting moments of my life and i dug deep into okay but why (laughs) why was this such a peak moment for me and then I was looking for the threads kind of connecting them. So kind of, so some examples that al- al- allowed me to arrive at what I'm actually excited about, and maybe it'll help the listeners too, is um, I took part in a speech contest. And actually, I won kind of the Poland-wide 
stage of this Toastmasters speech contest after multiple tries, which was also an important part of the enjoyment there, kind of getting through the challenge. That was a small learning about myself as well. And then I went to Athens, actually, to compete in the next stage. So I can say that I did public speaking, uh, where, you know, a lot of the public speaking was, one might say, born, or at least, you know, the a lot of the discipline was, was built. Uh, so I did that. On the other hand, of course, what landed on the list was my very first gig in front of people, uh, you know, when I played in the band. And then I also played Romeo in a school play. And that also was one of my peak moments. I still think back to that after all of those years. And that, that was oh, 15 years in the past, <laughs> probably over that. So then I'm like, what is the connecting thread of all of this? And I also love running live streams, love being on podcasts. What is the connect? And then I found, and this is also important to say, what is a situation that's similar to that, but it wasn't exciting? So for example, I noticed that I like live streaming quite a bit more than I like podcasting, actually. And again, I asked myself, why? And what I found is, The aspect of the live audience is what really gets to me. Having a group of people that are on the other side that I can give energy to and receive energy from is what gets me going. These are my peak moments, right? And then I realized that this is is just what I like. I like to give people this energy. I mean, people laugh at me because every time I start a live stream, I have this kind of catchphrase where I go... And people have told me that I kind of change completely when when the live stream starts. I say, hello, 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 everyone, and welcome, you know? Doesn't doesn't matter what kind of mood I had before. And this only works when the when the audience is live. Uh, I just notice this aspect of giving people energy, changing their emotional state, inspiring them, and you know, in some contexts, teaching them at the same time. This is where I feel like I'm at my best, where I'm kind of I'm using the stuff that I know how to do the most. So kind of to summarize, you know, list the events in your life where you you felt those were your kind of peak moments. And there isn't just one thing. You'll find kind of categories, right? Uh, Some of my peak moments have been, you know, moments when it was just one-to-one with a person, like a deep conversation or, you know, getting married, of course, was, was one of those. But you'll find those categories, find the common threads, kind of group them, And you'll find kind of the underlying feeling, the underlying vibe, and lean into that as much as you can, because that's where you're at your best. That's your strength. That's your unique ability. And this is related to another book called Who Not How that I really recommend. Kind of when you find your unique ability and you start using it as much as you can and find others to help you with the rest, that's where the magic happens. So, okay, long-winded kind of answer to the question. But this exercise has really changed the way I see myself and kind of the course of my life. So if at least one person listening to this applies this, I'll be super happy. So that's absolutely brilliant. And I love that you have taken this very deliberate process of strategically plotting, thinking back, reflecting. What were the moments where I felt like I was at my best? I was serving with the, the gifts that I had in the way that I was meant to do this. And I love that you you found those correlations in every aspect of your life. And mm. and I think that you and I are very similar in those regards. It is the, the desire to help someone feel something. And I think you and I are both in this category where we're not really okay with indifference. I don't mind if you hate me. I would much rather that you loved what I was doing, but I'd, I'd rather you weren't indifferent to me. I don't want anyone to be lukewarm after interacting with me because hopefully yeah. I've made their day better um you know and certainly I think what you do so brilliantly is you make 
people feel things and not in like a weird and creepy way, but it just genuinely in a, I want you, pardon me, to feel better about your situation yourself and that transfer of energy. And it doesn't necessarily always need to be in a work environment as well. I think if we all have one or two people, whether they're close to you, whether they're remote, I'm a firm believer that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you can impart your positive energy and your your, um, inspiration and your enthusiasm to a community of people, I think the world, that's something that the world desperately needs more of. So I think it's fantastic that you do that. And I would love if, if you would share with us how that shows up in your work life and in terms of your career and the projects that you're attracted to. Um, how do you bring that into your everyday from a work perspective? Hmm. You know, I would say at this point in my trajectory, I would say to some extent it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, I find it hard. And I know that some people really work in a way that's kind of dispassionate. I don't mean it in a bad way, though. They log in, uh, they look at their list of tasks, and they're like, task one, okay, done. Task two, okay, done. They kind of go through it, how should I say this, in a methodical way, you know? With me, maybe because I'm creative, uh, you know, maybe because I have this kind of strong emotional component, I I, I first need to figure out, and this is a question I often ask myself when I'm writing or thinking of a podcast episode, the, the question I first asked myself is like, what's the feeling, you know, what's the feeling that this piece is going to convey, this newsletter is going to convey, or, you know, on, on this podcast, what kind of dynamic are we going for? And that is kind of my starting point, just because I'm kind of, I'm closely attuned to, okay, there's the aspect of what the audience is going to learn, but as an additional layer, what are they going to feel? You know, I want them to know kind of the underlying story of, Okay, like this discipline, for example, is very well established. There's good research that says, you know, we know that these are the things that work. Okay, and this is kind of the feeling of the piece. Research-based, here's kind of the state of the art for this discipline. You can use this and you can apply this and it will work for you. And then you're writing a piece about, let's say, AI. And the feeling is completely different. There, I mean, there is research, right? But it's still relatively fresh. So the kind of feeling you can go for is, okay, this is my experience. These are a few cases that have worked for me. Kind of the, the body of research, the body of evidence is not there yet for like AI content repurposing, but just as an inspiration, here's a, you know, a case that you might look at and you might kind of steal for yourself. So this helps me deliver good work when I can kind of hone in on the feeling. Uh, and I just, I can't resist making everything personal, which, you know, to some, for some types of content is great, Podcasts, for example, super great because these are very personality driven. For blogs, not always so great because sometimes we just want to create like a good, relevant guide. And I think of all of these recipe pages on the internet where it's like, you know, two pages of this is my grandma's recipe and she always baked this cake <laughs> for Christmas. Like, okay, just tell me the steps, right? <laughs> and, I would, and I would be totally about, about kind of the, the story behind the recipe. And this kind of reflects in some of the things that I advocate on a content level. I still feel that in the age of AI, personality is your moat. And the more you can make your content personality driven now, the more this will protect you later. Uh, Because, you know, AI can try to write in your voice, but they won't have your experience. It won't have your references, uh, which is why I've been leaning into that. For example, in the newsletter that I run for Zenpilot called First Class Operations, I talk about my grandma. I talk about me going on a, on this kind of bodybuilding journey recently, you can tell yet, but <laughs> see me in a year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and 
I, I feel like, you know, I have to do that to unblock myself and to get creative and to deliver my best work. This dispassionate way of working, I am practicing kind of adding that to my arsenal. It's not entirely something I'm super comfortable with. But the key thing is you have to find your style here, kind of utilize, leverage its strengths and the weaknesses, be aware of them and just find tactics to you know, mitigate those. I hope that answers the question. I hope that it didn't get kind of too No, no, far no, it from. does. And I think you've done, you've touched on some really interesting points. So the first thing that's burning in my head is the people who don't use the jump to recipe button at the top of their blog, there's a special place in hell for you. Um, for the, the, the piece that you mentioned there around, um, sometimes it's good to make things personal. Sometimes it's really good to make things personality driven. I love that you're aware of yeah. when that's, that can be a weakness potentially. Um, but I think, and you and I are both linguists in one sense or another. And I think that one of the things that is so interesting is this question of feeling and writing to evoke a feeling or an emotion. And a lot of my work is concerned, almost the majority of my work is concerned with the other person. I'm not writing for myself, you know, I mean, obviously there's a little bit of ego in the things that I do, but broadly speaking and by and large, I want that focus to be entirely on the audience, entirely on the person that I'm speaking to, because Otherwise, it's kind of like going on a date with someone who just wants to talk about themselves. But where I'm really curious is how do you know that what you're writing is evoking the feeling that you want it to create? So what are some of the behind the scenes, nuts and bolts, things that you go through or the processes, the methods that you use to be like, actually, what I wanted to do was to provoke curiosity and a little bit of discomfort because I don't want people thinking that actually their project management tools are doing the job when they're not. They should be serving you and not the other way around. So how can I evoke that feeling? What's your process what's your method for doing that Jakob? i have some tactics here i don't know if this is fully fledged and kind of kind of in my process here to be perfectly honest but what i do try to keep in the back of my mind this relates back to something um i recently met jay akonzo met as in encountered his thoughts uh because he was on the agency journey podcast that zen pilot runs and he has this one catchphrase that i really like is that the idea of the job of people like us, you know, for example, content marketers uh, or copywriters, it's not it's not to create content. The idea is to create connection. Really resonated with me. And when I found out about this, I started writing differently and I realized every piece of content is just a step in a conversation. Sometimes it results from a conversation. Sometimes it starts a conversation. More often it's like one conversation leads to a piece of content, leads to a conversation, leads to a piece of content. And sometimes those two blend together. I mean, this started as a conversation. We were just on a call and now we're creating content by making this a podcast episode, which I absolutely love. I've always wanted to do that. It's just, you know, I have these calls all the time where it's like, why aren't we recording? <laughs> this could be useful to somebody. And here, finally, I had a chance to, to do that. So, okay, specific tactics is when you keep that in the back of your mind, certain things come to you that are kind of natural to do. So, for example, when I run my newsletter, I've realized it's super important to have a question at the end. I've experimented with different questions, and mostly I'm getting answers to a question that usually runs like, how am I doing? You know, what could I do better? Or has this been helpful? You know, uh, do you have any, any, any thoughts on this? And it's like, it can feel... Or like on LinkedIn posts, I know it can feel a little bit tiring where at the end of every post, you know, people ask a question. It can certainly come across as disingenuous in certain contexts. But when you write the post itself in the context of this is a conversation, like different ideas for posts come to mind. I just the other day, I think that was literally yesterday, I posted about, hey, here are the habits that I'm tracking, uh, you know, 
Yeah, I so that. I love that post. It was absolutely on point. And I love that even just a couple of push-ups or a slightly longer walk are one of the things that counts for you. So good. Yeah, you know, to read more about that, uh, I recommend the listeners check out this book called Tiny Habits. Well, Atomic Habits is right now the classic and probably the the book to to read about habits. But if you've read that one and you haven't read Tiny Habits, then Tiny Habits is a nice supplement. But anyway, like I wasn't meaning to necessarily teach people a lot with that post, but I wanted to, well, first of all, give them some inspiration into, okay, so here's at least an example of a person tracking their habits and how they this is what I'm curious about, kind of how they set the threshold of when a habit counts. This is very individual, which is why I kind of, I thought of the question first here. I want to find out, you know, for my audience, and I'm really happy that I have, you know, enough people in my network right now where I can, if I get these responses, I wonder what this is like for them. And here's what it's like for me just as a reference, but like, let's talk, you know, not every post is going to be like that, of course, but when you have it in the back of your mind that this is a step in a conversation. It's just different kind of stuff comes to the fore. In the same vein, you know, looking for more connections has made me open up uh, even about kind of my interests. So in first class operations, for example, more and more I'm I'm talking about kind of the music I'm listening to at a given point. In the latest edition that's coming out today or tomorrow, I'm gonna be linking to some Pokemon music. You know, I just want to find the people in my audience who who have played Pokemon like. Silver was my edition, you know? Uh, so yeah, so, so it boils down to just remembering to ask those questions. The, the comments section often is even more important and valuable, for example, on a LinkedIn post than the post itself. And just keep that in mind and experiment with those kinds of posts. If all of your posts have been, here are five tips, here are three tips, here's a case study, just try asking a question and seeing what kind of content your audience comes up with. It's just, it's, it makes it much more enjoyable when it's two way. I could not agree with you more. I think the, if everyone needs to go back, probably take yourself back about three and a half, four minutes to the point where, where Jakob said, think about your content as a conversation. And that's mm. exactly what it is. Every piece of content is a step in conversation. I think a lot of the time, it's very easy for us to forget that marketing is not about selling stuff necessarily. Marketing, the lion's share of what you're doing should be education for you and for your audience. So you need to educate them um, on for a product or a solution that your company might be offering or for maybe a piece of consulting work that you can come in and, and use to benefit people. But conversely, you also need to educate yourself about what your audience is looking for. And I'd argue that actually is far more important than educating someone else. Because what's the point in teaching someone something if they're not going to be in the right classroom, so to speak? You know, if, if they've showed up for something else that's completely different to what you're offering, you're just wasting your time. So actually figuring out what your your community are looking for is a much better way to to create that content, create that conversation, as you say, and move it forward, which is absolutely fascinating. And in terms of the, um, you know, finding your people, you know, being on that quest to find your people, the ones who listen to, you know, metal and who, what is your favorite Pokemon? I'm super curious. Uh, I had this question just the other day, like this weekend, and... I don't know if this is my absolute favorite Pokemon of all time, but the one that immediately jumps into my mind is Scyther. Kind of the Why? bug type from Generation 1. I just find, find him super cool. Like, Mantises are super cool. And it, it, he was, it was hard to catch a Scyther in the generation that I kind of grew up with the most. You had to go to the bug catching contest in Generation 2. And <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to go on a, on a tangent here, but you know... I, I got him in every single run that I did. I find his design, its design. Yeah, I, I kind of think of, of this one as a he. Anyway, I find Scyther's design 
super cool. And yeah, I've, I've always, I've been at the time when I was playing this game, I was really into kind of the ninja aesthetic and it kind of hit, fits that. So. Okay. There you go. Amazing. Well, mine's ditto because I was a born imitator. So I think it was pink <laughs> and fluffy. So it, it fits with my aesthetic. Um, but that is, that's fascinating. I love that. And I, I love that the, you know, you're on this quest to find your people. And I think everybody says, oh, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be your, you know, you've got to be your authentic self. And I, if there is a word that has lost its meaning by repetition, ironically, I've just used one of these words and it is aesthetic. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's so aesthetic. I'm like, no, it is anesthetic. It is not aesthetic. It's not an adjective. Now, I'm saying that as a linguist yeah. who is aware of the inherently fluid nature of language. But another word that I think is so used as it's become hollow is authentic. And mm. I, I think that when it comes to authenticity, I think a lot of the time it's used as an excuse to be a bit of a dick. Um, and I would love to know what your perspective is on writing content that comes from who you are without trying to take it up too many notches or um, make it fit an ideal instead. How do you genuinely put yourself out there in a way that resonates with other people? That's an excellent question. I love that. Uh, this is this has been a journey for me, certainly, and it's been one of my key learnings that there are things you can teach and there are things you can report on. And you need to be really honest with yourself about the things that you can actually teach, where you have experience, where you have a track record, when you can talk about certain things you've achieved and you have a good idea of how you achieved them, which you don't always do, and you can teach other people about that versus... Like, for example, with Zenpilot as an example, you know, I have expertise into what Zenpilot does. That's part of the reason why I joined the company. I'm, you know, I was uh, and still am a ClickUp nerd. I implemented ClickUp for my company, and that's the project management software that Zenpilot specializes in next to Teamwork.com as the other alternative, right? But I joined Zenpilot, and immediately I realized I am out of my depth here. Not in, an, in a necessarily negative sense, but like I might have been, you know, well-versed, but these people are wizards when it comes to ClickUp, when it comes to not just that, but also like very detailed and like habit behavior driven project management. And for a time, I was trying to kind of be one of them in the sense that, okay, yeah, I can talk about that too. Here's what you should do. Here's what, uh, you know, here, here's the way. Over time, I realized I am here to kind of to give them a platform and a voice to share their stories. I started a series of live streams where I feature Zen pilot people, what we call ourselves pilots actually, as the experts and they talk. And this is where the good content comes from, you know, because it's authentic, because these people have worked with like 200 clients on project management. They have fought the battles so they can talk about them from a place of, yeah, authenticity, right? And my role is just to look at the kind of that whole wealth of experience, relate that to, you know, what I know about the audience, which is also something that kind of this understanding you build over time and via interaction with your audience and via research and kind of just find the parts of their experience that relate the most to what the audience cares about, you know, to draw out the stuff that's the most relevant. But I am not the source. That is such a key learning. I am not the source. And this applies to, to more than just that. Uh, I really like, I think this is something that James Clear once said. I, I've got that kind of noted in my second brain. It's one of the more frequently used notes. Write about what fascinates you. But being honest about this is something that, that fascinates me. This is something I'm a student of. I'm just taking you on the journey. It's kind of like building in public, but it's more learning in public, one might say. 
And you know, you read a book, you give your own perspective on it, you share the book, but you're not trying to kind of attribute the knowledge to yourself. You're not trying to paint yourself as the expert, you know, like coming from a university background, I had to write a BA thesis. I had to write an MA thesis. What really stuck with me is like cite your sources. So many people don't on the web, you know, they attribute so much stuff to themselves, but that's, you know, arguably a tangent. So kind of one concept that I would like the listeners to, to stay with if possible is like, Recognize what you can teach, recognize what you can report on. Over time, the stuff that you report on may become the stuff that you can also teach. Uh, that's true, especially if at the same time you're building up a, a body of experience in that discipline. But just giving yourself permission to be this reporter, for me, this has been a great unlock. And I've had so much more fun with content ever since where I could just say, okay, I sat down with somebody who knows their stuff and here's what they said. And it's true and it works and it's proven. And I don't have to be, you know, like a guru that I'm not anymore. That is great. I recommend this shift to anyone. That's, that is so powerful. And I think that that's the thing, isn't it? Is that there is so much pressure out there to know everything because we, we have access to the internet. We are in the age of information. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lack of awareness is a choice thing. Ignorance isn't, ignorance is not always bliss slash, um, excusable, but there are, there are lots of things that you've just said there that literally got my brain on fire. I think one of the things is if you move out of this inherited need to be a guru which you're none of us are you know and, and also it's slightly problematic that we refer ourselves to in that sense but what you said is if i can be a reporter if i can become the channel the medium for sharing the thing mm. that fascinates with other people to cite my sources to to know that actually there's there's less pressure all i can become is someone who who shares a message with other people rather than having to be a messiah myself then actually that's a really exciting place to play it takes the pressure off it means you can share what you love um and i i can't actually think of a better note to wrap up our podcast on so Jakob, i have to say thank you so much for joining me today for being my first interview guest and this bonus episode um and where can people find you where can people interact with you and how do we get in touch okay so probably the best way to find me is on linkedin indeed uh i'm Jakub greitzar on linkedin i imagine this might be somewhere in, in the show notes for example I post about a variety of different things. I'm trying to lock down my own personal brand and not entirely succeeding. So one day I'll post about habits, another day about writing, another day about marketing, another day about project management. But all in the vein of, yeah, a lot of it is uh, trying to help you become better communicators. And some of it is right now quite oriented towards... You, you'll find special value in my content if you're part of a marketing agency or you're running an agency because of my work with Zenpilot where I'm content marketing manager. And if you want to get kind of the the most how should I say, the most personal writing that I do right now is probably via the first class operations newsletter that I just mentioned. I you know this is this is a conscious step that I took as part of the strategy. Uh, I kind of put myself as the host of the newsletter. Uh, because it's first class operations, I call myself Captain Kuba <laughs> in there. Like Kuba to Jakob is like Bob to Robert, you know, just so uh, to avoid confusion there. Uh, so you can subscribe to first class operations by going to zenpilot.com in the resources section. First class operations is there. If not, you can always find it in the footer. So those are kind of the two main places. I'm not so much on Twitter, sorry, X. Uh, so. And don't look me up on TikTok because the stuff there is pretty old. I might restart that at one point, but yeah. So LinkedIn, let's meet there.
Okay, folks, LinkedIn, and we will make sure that we put the, the notes to the First Class Comms Notebook uh, in the show notes for you. Jakob, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Next Level Communications Podcast. Take care of yourself. Thank you.